just one more thing before we go any further. Uh, on Easter, of course, I forgot to mention, there will be no Easter Sunday service. So don't come along to that. Um, but there will be a service the Sunday after. Also, there are uh, flyers up the back if you want to invite uh, friends and family along to uh, Good Friday. And you're not so good with the words, then an adjunct for the words is to hand them a, a flyer. And so there are plenty of those up the back uh, for you to use for that. But right now I want to introduce our, our speaker for this morning, Pastor Bruce. Now I believe Pastor Bruce is not only just going to preach us the word, but he's going to let us know some things about missions, because as you know, we're, we're involved in missions in Fiji, and uh, I believe uh, Pastor Bruce has the good oil on some of that, so we're going to hear a bit, bit about what's happening there, and uh, then he's going to preach the word of God, and he's in line with what we're talking about, so that you're not escaping this morning. Uh, Bruce is on the ball with it, so I want you to give a, a warm Norwood welcome to Pastor Bruce Williams as he comes up. Thank you, guys. Too kind. You may be seated. Well, it's great to be here again. It seems like a long time ago, because it probably is. About a year ago that we were here, and Gillian and I are really thrilled to be in your presence. What a great church with great worship. It's great to see a lot of new faces in the, in the house of God since last time we were here, so that's always a good thing. And uh, if you're a visitor this morning or you've been coming for a few weeks, I want to reiterate the senior pastors of this church's heart and say a very heartfelt welcome. It's great. Great, great thing to join a new church congregation. Sometimes a bit scary. I'd say to people always it's a very courageous thing to do, to just step into a community of people uh, as a stranger or be invited by someone who you might know who comes here and but still you are unknown to most of the group. And there's a lot of stuff there that's be prepared to be stepped over to make that happen. And so uh, I want to just uh, encourage you, if you've done that, and joined this church recently, my hat, if I had one on, would come off and say, well done, gutsy person, push in and get to know God, amen? And uh, you're in good hands here, Chris and Vicky are the nicest people you find on the planet. Um, <laughs> got a great team of people around them and uh, they will love you to bits, I've got no, absolutely no doubt about that. Um, I asked did she come up and talk about Fiji, she said nope, she doesn't want to say anything, so she wants to just remain seated down the front there next to, to Vicky and behave herself for a change but uh, I just want you to do something for me first up though I want you just to turn the person alongside you and I'll work that out and just give them a high five and then say happy Palm Sunday aha uh-huh, it's Palm Sunday yeah well, uh, anyway that's pretty corny isn't it <coughs> dear oh dear well, I believe you've been uh, looking at the Ten Commandments. Is that what I have? I got the, I'm on the right page here, right, Chris? And uh, I am looking this morning at one of them, the ninth one, I think. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. We'll get to that in a moment. Sorry? I am talking about Fiji, so I said, in a moment. So, yes, Fiji. Who, who uh, even has an idea where is Fiji? Is it in the Atlantic Ocean? No, it's in the Pacific Ocean, and it's about a four-hour flight from Sydney and it's not east, it's like northeast. You'd almost fly over on the way to, to Los Angeles or um, maybe even to Vancouver. It's sort of well up towards the uh, Tropic of Capricorn, I guess, a bit, uh, above that, in fact, north of that. Doesn't matter. It's out there in the middle of nowhere, flying out there. It's like, wow, we have a lot of water down there. Hope the plane doesn't do what other planes have done lately. 
Uh, but anyway, when you get there, it's a, just an ever-ceases to amaze me that a plane can fly out to the middle of a huge ocean like that and they find a piece of land to land on. It's like, thank God for technology and good pilots. Anyway, when you get there, it's a beautiful tropical place and uh, it's an interesting country though. Very small population, uh, not particularly wealthy and reliant on a lot of aid from countries like ourselves and other places. And uh, there are complications in Fiji to do with uh, ethnic based uh, prejudices and uh, misunderstandings and outright discrimination which go right to the very heart of the country so at one level it's quite troubled uh, with regards to Fijians, uh, native Fijians and uh, people who came to the country originally as cane workers from India and uh, those two groups of people have had an interesting interaction since that happened and uh, it's got some troubled spots and you, it currently is uh, governed by a military coup so the guy that's actually in charge of the country took over the country by force so it's not got a uh, constitution in place at the moment and uh, so our government, previous government, had uh, a very hands-off approach to them and uh, the current uh, like liberal governments trying to shift the direction of that to become a little more reconciled in relating to the country. And so um, in the midst of all those changes, we've been going there for uh, about three or four years. We started off with a holiday and fell in love with the place, got connected to some of the C3 churches over there, and there are about seven of them sprinkled across the islands of Fiji. Uh, I think probably four of them, at least are maybe five, are on the main island where uh, Nandi and Suva are. And uh, so we've been with Chris and Vicky and uh, a couple of other guys from the church last year. We went across to Nandy and built a house and fixed up half a house for a single mum. And the, the house we built was for a, a pastoral couple in the church. And uh, it was a magnificent trip. And so we put together from scratch with uh, uh, building hardwood timber frames and iron and digging holes. We built a little, it's very simple. When I say house, I'm not talking about a four-bedroom mansion with marble floors and flushing tours. I'm talking about basically... a uh, a shed okay it's got rooms in it and it's off the ground which is great so it's got a proper uh, timber floor it's actually level and a square and it's cyclone proof uh, a lot of the Fijian people uh, who don't have a lot of resources at their disposal spend most of the uh, off cyclone season fixing their house up that blew down in the cyclone season and so places just get wrecked uh, by cyclones and you'll have noticed in Samoa this week or Samoa no Solomon Islands Golden Islands, which one was it? Come on, who's been reading the news? Got hit by a cyclone. The one, the Solomon Islands, I think it was, the one that's just hit up top of Queensland, went through there and killed 26 people and flooded things. And uh, So they live in a place that's got torrential rain and climate, and uh, so we found that we can actually be quite helpful in going there with teams to build things and help them, uh, A, by providing somebody with a place to live that'll stand most of the cyclone conditions that can come through in the summer. Um, the Fijian people that we're helping are actually able to pick up trade skills, so they actually learn how to, to cut timber square and put a nail in straight and do things like that. And some of them are very good um, and completely capable of that, but others are not. And so the opportunity to share skills and so forth, build friendships, make relationships, and just generally have a great time. They're very hospitable, loving people. Uh, but like anywhere in the world you go, there's people with great need. And so there is uh, very severe uh, instances of poverty. And uh, for some of our crew last year, that was their first trip ever overseas. And uh, they were pretty uh, arrested by, as in, 
just caught them by surprise after three or four days to look around and see some of the conditions that people live in and some of the things that people actually call a normal life are quite confronting. <coughs> but having said that, it's a safe place to do that, unlike other parts of the world where the confrontation of the culture shock plus not being safe would be a mixture that would be pretty tough for a first trip overseas. So where am I going with that? If you really, really feel like you want to get involved with coming to that trip, uh, we've got another one happening this year. We're actually planning to build, we're not sure what at the moment, probably another house, possibly for the pastor of the church in Fiji who's got nothing. Um, and But it may be some other projects that we hook up with. Uh, so that's not finalised, but when we're doing it is. So the house build will be starting on Monday the 11th of August and uh, we do it in four days and have a day off on the Friday and fly home on the Saturday. So it's a week, fly on, on Friday the 9th of August, fly out on uh, sorry Saturday the 9th and uh, fly home the following Saturday, which if I do my maths must be about the 16th. Is that right? Seven days. Sounds good. Um, there actually is a C3 Church leadership uh, school slash conference on the week before or part thereof, the Thursday, the Friday and the Saturday. And if you really wanted to experience that, you'd be welcome to come and join that as well. So those dates are really important to slip in the diary. Either the week starting Saturday the 9th for that week to build the house, if you wanted to come a few days early and get involved in a C3 conference in another culture, um, that would be quite an experience as well. You'd be most welcome to do that. Um, so if you've got any questions about that, it would be best to speak with and coordinate that through Chris and Vicky. And anything they can't answer the question of, they'll flick up to us. Cost for an airfare to Fiji, generally around about $1,000 return. Uh, you might find some package deals that are way less than that. Uh, and if you leave it too late, in August, you'll find there's airfares that are way more than that. So just keep an eye on uh, either the internet if you're that way disposed or get a good travel agent that'll keep out an eye out for you for airfares. There are packages and things that you can do. We book into a hotel. This time we're going to one just outside the airport. It's about 170 BGN dollars a night, which is about 110 dollars Australian, um, and that would be a room for two people, uh, to like husband and wife. Um, if you're sleeping in the same bed, that would be a good idea. Um, but it could be a twin share arrangement if you get my drift. So not overly expensive, really, really good fun, and uh, we have we had a lot of fun together last year. It was a big group of about 28 of us, I think, all together between ours and your church, and uh, we're expecting about the same numbers again this year. So. Uh, if you're interested, we'd love you to be involved with that. And if you can't go but you'd like to contribute to it, it's always possible to just make a donation to the, the Fiji House Build Project and uh, we'd love to help somebody over there end up living with a roof over their head next time it's pouring with rain, lightning and thunder. Amen? So why don't we just pray about that? Lord, we just thank you for the opportunities we have in this country to, to help people. Uh, and we do just have to choose where we're, we're going to be effective and so our connections with people are important to focus our attention one place or another. And Lord, we just know the need is so great around the world and we could go in different directions uh, for the rest of our days. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to be just diligent and focused and effective in the things we plan together to do in Fiji. And we pray, Lord, that the churches over there this, this morning that I've already met, we pray for the churches in Nandi, in uh, Sabu Sabu, in Suva, <coughs> in Bar, and Latoka. Lord, that they will find the power of God moving on them every time they come together in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Alrighty. Um, interesting topic I found to sort of get into this week, and the Ten Commandments. 
and I kind of had a bit of a bit of a burden, I guess, a bit of a beer in my bonnet about um, a couple of things because of it. And I want to bring those to your attention this morning, if I can, in the way of a message that I hope will bless you. So here we go. In Genesis chapter 12, I just want to say this verse to set the framework up for what I want to actually talk about this morning. Um, God calls Abram to do something. In verse 1 of chapter 12 of Genesis, it says, and you haven't got this scripture up because I didn't give it to you because it wasn't in my notes. Um, The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to a land that I will show you. Now this is the one, I want you to listen to this little phrase, I will make you into a great man. Sound right? Sounds good? Only problem is it's not right. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I want to say that, let me say it wrong. I will make you, this is the 21st century version of this scripture would be, I will make you into a great man of God. I'll make you into a great worship leader. I'll make you into a great career-minded person. You'll be a scientist, or you'll be this, or you'll be that. And it's really, 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 really important, in my view, for us to understand that the kingdom of God has got a different set of priorities to the kingdoms of the world, out of which we all come. We all are brought up in the kingdoms of this world. And I say kingdoms plural because there's many of them. We pick up values from our society, and increasingly our society's ungodly in that respect with regards to its values. And so when we read this, it's really easy to read the word nation and think me. Really easy to read, I will make you into a great nation and miss the point that for God, the number one priority for us as individuals is our connection to a community. It's not about me personally having my vision and doing my thing for God. That is a means to an end which is more important to God than me actually getting to my vision. What's important to God is this. What's important to God is us us together, a nation, a community, or whatever. And so when we turn to uh, Exodus chapter 20, where you'll find the Ten Commandments, which you've been working through for a little while. How long have you been looking at this, Chris? Since the beginning of the year, or just recently? Since the beginning of the year. All righty. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I read the Ten Commandments, and most of them I flick off the list and go, not applicable, not applicable, not applicable, not applicable. Real easy to skim over the Duchenne up committed adultery. I haven't done that. I don't intend to. Um, I haven't murdered anybody that I'm aware of. Um, that's not to say I've been out of my mind, but anyway, uh, at some point in life, uh, you shall not steal. Hmm, I probably have to have a little bit of talk to God about that one. Um, what about you shall have no other gods before me? Hmm, well, I, I'd like to think I'm pretty committed to God, but if, if push comes to shove, I kind of, there's things that I really have. Let's just say the word affection. That caught my affection. Um, and I mean, good things like my wife. She's meant to have my affection. That's nothing wrong with that. But um, you should not make for yourself an idol. Yeah, well, I've got a few things at home that are a little bit like maybe could be construed as that. And so we, we can read through this. But my point in that is some of us will skim over the ones that we don't think apply to us. And this one this morning, Exodus 20:16, you shall not give false testimony 
against your neighbour. Again, I want to read that with a 21st century mindset that's talking about me, individual, and my neighbour. He's not writing to a me and my neighbour. He's writing to a community of faith. The Bible is written not for you to read through 21st century eyes where individualism is a god, but through near ancient Near Eastern eyes, which is almost impossible for us to do, that are talking to a community of people about how community functions and what's important to community. And so when we start talking about you shall not give false witness or testimony against your neighbour, obviously there is a personal side to that, but I'd want to put it to you that the personal side of it is the means to a greater end, and that is that the community itself can bear false witness against itself or people in it. And I think that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about crowds. Ever been to the football? I, I had never been to an AFL match until my son-in-law entered our family. And his family are there. There's Jonathan and John and Emma, uh, if you know them. John's family are sort of crows, nutcases. It's a very positive, nice thing to say in Australia, right? They're just fanatical crows fans. And uh, I'd never been to a, an AFL match and... Um, somehow or other I got invited to go to one and I thought I would so that was all very well and sitting up there in the stand the members, the Crows members stand and there's some very brave Victorians that were there that day that I don't know how they sat in that section but they were there and they were, they were sprinkled around I think we were, I can't remember who the Crows were playing against that day it might have been Essendon or somebody um, as you can see I'm really interested riveting <laughs> really riveted there is a team called Essendon oh the Bombers that's right and uh Anyway, the, the day starts off, you know, I don't think I'd like to be an umpire in, at a football match. You know, the day starts out, the umpire gets onto the field with the players and the crowd's kind of anticipating the game getting started and it can be like the umpire gets on there and everyone, yes, because a, a decision made in favour of the team you follow. But then if there's a series of just just say dubious calls by an umpire and they can only do what they can see on the ground let's say let's give them the benefit of a doubt that they're pretty objective 99.9% of the time but occasionally from say crowd say crowd so from the crowd's perspective the umpire's all of a sudden had a mental complete wipeout in his brain and he's not seeing the game and everybody up in the stands start, you hear these murmurings and some of the murmurings are colourful some of them are very polite, and it starts off pretty subdued, though, you know. Oh, oh, boo. But as time goes on, the atmosphere in the crowd, say crowd, the atmosphere in the crowd goes from, this is an okay moment, that umpire's not too bad, to let's take him outside and crucify him. And I'm thinking, that's got something to say to us about Palm Sunday. It's got something to say about you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. So the whole crowd, the football, becomes complicit in bearing false testimony about the integrity of an umpire. Let me say that again. The whole crowd begins to get caught up. So one, one fanatical Crows fan, for example, can start screaming and shouting obscenities at the umpire. And I watched it. It was like the flipping, like a Mexican wave. It just, it sort of went out like a, an atomic bomb explosion out through the crowd and there was one person screaming, then there was 30, and then there was 50. Next thing there's like 40 metres around this person in all directions. There's people up there shouting and screaming and yelling. It's like they're bearing false witness against an umpire. 
Then they turn on some of the players. Well, then they get really excited. And, uh, you know, oh, kill him, kick him in the, you know, where? And it's, um, and if it's, I've been told if you're there at a Port Adelaide match, any Port Adelaide supporters here? Ooh, I better be careful what I say. <laughs> they just, it can be even more colourful. <laughs> yeah. So let's just uh, flick around, because I want to look at this uh, from the eyes of the New Testament around the story of Jesus and Palm Sunday, given it's, it is actually Palm Sunday, and as a good Pentecostal church, we don't normally make a lot of fuss about the calendar of the church, but um, that's what it's called around the world. And so here we are. Matthew 21, verses 9 to 11. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that follow shouted. Say shouted. Shouted. Who's been to a football match? Okay. Now, keep your hands up. Uh, Hands up if you're a really quiet, sort of melancholy, phlegmatic kind of, don't say a lot of, you're not a a big, noisy, sanguine. As you put your hands down there. So those of you who had your hands up going to football, who is not a noisy, sanguine, look at me, woohoo kind of person? Okay, when you got to the football match and it really started cranking, who morphed? <laughs> who, who morphed into something else? You know, I'm a pretty quiet... I, I get out the front to speak and preach like this. I've got to... I'm, I'm not being uh, fake. I'm not saying this at all. But I've actually got to go out of my comfort zone. I'm actually a quiet... Uh, fairly introverted, I'd rather sit by myself and read a book or watch TV or do something than talk to anybody, even Julie sometimes, uh, although that's a dangerous place thing to do, but um, I can say it here because I've got a little bit of distance, but uh, I'm a quiet kind of guy. But I've realised when I, even at my first episode at a football match, I started getting this thing on me. I started thinking, hey, I could break out here. I, I could really let rip. And uh, next thing, by about the fourth quarter and the crows are down, you're out of your seat. Get a life, you flippin' moron! Or a pie, you're a total dork! And I'm thinking, oh, that's, that's embarrassing. <laughs> it's something about the crowd. So this crowd are in this zone of shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city, say whole city. See, there's, there's nobody mentioned here. Oh, Bruce Williams was there having a bit of a crack. He was like, he was really into it. He, he, no, no, the Bible's talking nearly always about individuals' interaction with the community. An individual's interaction with the purpose of God, and God's purpose is always about people, plural. We, I don't think as Westerners in Australia in the 21st century really appreciate how important this is to God. He, Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? And he said, there was actually two of them. One is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, etc. And the other is like it, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, we, we want to personalize that. It's all about my effort of being a loving, caring, compassionate let's just say civilized nice human being I'd want to say to you that that second commandment is all about the community it's about me loving so that the community let's just let's contextualize that to this church there's decisions that you and I could make that we'd say it's my right to make a decision to do X Y and Z 
I wonder how often we really labour the point in prayer, at least before God, and saying, my option to exercise my freedom of choice will mean I'm going to do that. Lord, is that going to have any, and I mean any, any impact, negative at all, on this church? So your option, freedom, for example, to not give anything in the offering. You don't pay membership fees to come to church. There's nobody standing at the door with a sort of a camera out just snapping your wallet as it comes out of your pocket to see whether you're contributing. There's no one taking notice or recording anywhere what you do. You exercise your total freedom to give. That's the way it's meant to be. But we exercise that with a 21st mind, 21st century mind and go, I've, I've, I've exercised my option. I've exercised my right to choose. And we value that. But I think there's seldom the other half of the conversation with many of us. And I guess that's where I go for me this morning. The message, this message is about do we need to repent for having a community-less mindset? Because that's what matters to God. So the crowd, the crowd was going crazy. And Jesus entered the whole, the whole city, was stirred up and saying, Who is this guy? And the crowds answered, So they knew who he was. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, let's keep on reading uh, a few chapters down the track, Matthew 27. You may know this story if you're a person who's familiar with your Bible. If you're not, maybe you're a brand new Christian or you've just decided to start sort of seeking out some answers about what life's about. The story of Easter is Jesus being crucified on the cross whole nation rising up and killing one man the whole community got a hold of something that started with some evil minded people but the catalyst for it was one person, his name was Judas, Judas was one of Jesus in a circle of friends one of the guys that he would have said this is my mate Judas Judas is a disciple, he's been following me for three years I know the guy really well I'm sure Jesus has not really recorded, although there's a few allusions to it, that, that Jesus knew Judas was a bit of an interesting character. But he didn't say, you can't come into my world. Sometimes we get interesting characters walking around church. And it's not always the leaders who don't treat them well, it's us. Jesus accepted a dishonest, difficult, and in the end, two-faced scumbag called Judas. Well, I'm not Jesus, that's just as well. I would have pointed him out earlier than that, saying, mate, you're, you're a scumbag. Um, but he was. And Jesus didn't say, oh, you, no, you're a second-class disciple. You sit at the back. You, you, you don't deserve to hear this stuff. No, he was at the table, the Last Supper, with Jesus, hearing pearls of wisdom coming out of the mouth of the Son of God, sitting there on the cusp of betrayal. And Jesus knew that. Yet he still included why? Because community is more important to God than an individual's wrongs or rights. Oh, that's interesting. That's not to say God or Jesus compromises. He deals with our individual sin on the cross. But that's all, again, I've got to get saved. Jesus saved me. We sing songs. I've been saved. I've been set free. The chains have broken off my life. Yes, as a means to an end. And the end is, 
a community that functions as a loving community. The community that embraces stranger people, people who don't look like us, don't think like us, don't talk like us, don't have the values that we have. What's important to God is that we don't say, you can't come in here. What's important to God is we say, you can come in here. But we do believe this, as a caveat to all I'm saying, when people come in and are embraced by a community like this church, they will personally get changed. They will personally encounter God. It's not like we've got to be in the community to hear from God. God can talk to anybody because he's God, and he will. And so our salvation is our own salvation. But don't be misinformed about its purpose. Your salvation, my salvation, is at the end of the day about us being able to love one another. So poor old Judas, his lot in life was to be the betrayer of Jesus Christ. Imagine having your name forever written in the word of God as the guy who betrayed the son of God. I don't know where Judas went. He, uh, different, two different stories in the Bible how he finished himself off. He killed himself after the fact. He was so remorseful, so, so distraught by the fact he even tried to take the money back, say, I've made a really big mistake, guys. Here's your 30 pieces of silver. And they said, what's that to us? The, the deed had been done. And so in Matthew 27, verse 4, he's recorded as having said this, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. So there is a guy who, bear, who bore false testimony against a person. And again, you could go, that's the end of it. It's like he screwed Jesus over by betraying him. But I think the context of Scripture from start to finish has got to be looked at a little more closely and understand that it's about the community and the reason I want to labor the point with that is because we go down to verses 20 through 23 of the same chapter, Matthew 27. Let's read this. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd. Say crowd. Think back a week before, we got the crowd going completely nuts. The umpire is the best umpire in the world. He is awesome. Within the space of a one quarter of football, a really good umpire can go from being the hero of the, of the crowd to being the villain of the crowd. Like, what's happened? All the umpire has done is interpreted the rules of the game to the best of his or her ability. And the crowd's turned on him or her. I go, that is really weird. So I started looking up uh, some information over the uh, last little while on the internet about uh, the psychology and the sociology of crowd behaviour. And there are people, scientists... Uh, sociologists and psychologists obviously who spend their whole life researching, there's research papers written about convergence theory and about there's Freud's view and there's all, there's all this stuff about the dynamic of a crowd and I think it's really really important that we as the men and women who claim to be Jesus brothers and sisters people who claim to be people of God don't underestimate the power of the crowd don't underestimate the power of this group of people. Uh, not only the power of it, but the responsibility to keep it healthy. And so the Ten Commandments are about personal limitations of behavior that are really to do with community standards and a community that actually functions. The purpose of the Ten Commandments is not to, not to stop a person like me from murdering. It's to actually make the community safe. Because there are people who are a little bit murderous around the place. You've noticed that people, all sorts of reasons, lose the plot. <clears throat> or people who find it very tempting to and go through with committing adultery. It's like, that's an individual choice with individual consequences, but it's got a community con consequence that to God 
I think at the end of the day, it's probably more important that we get it right as in we don't do these things because we value our community. So the crowd has gone from cheering Jesus to jeering Jesus. And so they persuaded. I mean, how do you persuade a crowd that a week earlier is going, he's a prophet. We think Elijah's come back. He's unbelievable. We've seen miracles. He's claiming to be the Messiah. Well, we're happy about that. They were excited. And a week, less than a week later, they've got somebody, a bit like the heckler in the crowd of the football, stood up and said, hey, wait a minute. He's a blaspheming Oh, he's just a naughty boy. And, and uh, somebody standing next to him goes, Hey, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's right, mate. You're, yeah, have, have a go, you mug. We'll get him. And next minute, there's three or four. Next minute, there's a guy drinking, drinking beer and having a meat pie and having a real football moment. And what was a happy moment with Jesus one week ago becomes a very, very tragic set of circumstances where the whole crowd begins to bear false testimony. The whole crowd. So a whole crowd can misunderstand and misrepresent an individual or another group of people. And that's where like things like racial discrimination and current topics in our community that stir up massive amounts of emotion and, and bun fights and words and social commentators and politicians and all the nutcases in the world come out of the world uh, with their hands up in the air either swinging fists or shouting abuse. It always amazes me that people who want to protest kind of against violence are violent. I don't get that, but... And other things like that. It's kind of like, really? But this is that, that deal. And I think the thing that God had in mind with the Ten Commandments was for a community to live in peace. Effectively. That's it in a nutshell. And so when you and I decide to follow Jesus Christ and Jesus himself said I am the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets what he's saying by that is when when you receive me into your life you're going to be a person who's not only been set free from sin and therefore um, inherit eternal life that's a promise from God but I think just as importantly maybe more important God's desire is then you are a person for whom this is more important than any personal choice. The health of this church becomes a very big priority in our life. The health of, um, if you're visiting from another church like I am, the health of C3 Church Adelaide Hills, I make decisions that are personal ones considering the well-being of the church. I've noticed over the years that people come and go from our church because of personal choice. Sometimes they move, sometimes they move because they've got a, something's happened to them or they've broken relationship uh, but they just started to get offended and move on I still am so troubled by the ease with which uh, an offence can cover up false witness about our church oh you're always talking about money oh you're going overseas we should be meeting the needs of people down in Mount Barker there's poor people in Mount Barker what are you going to Fiji for that becomes an open door in my view for a personal opinion to begin to filter into a community of people where the whole community begins to bear false witness about what's going on, about the, about the pastor. Anybody here, don't put your hand up, anybody ever been guilty of gossiping? Anyone ever talk about somebody behind their back? Either nice or bad when they weren't there. It's like, it's amazing how a nice conversation about saying something nice about somebody when they're not present can just 
veer off centre. Ever notice that? Ever, there's some people that are masters at it. They sit down, you're having an innocent coffee, and they start talking about this and about that. And, oh, yeah, I was talking, you know, another day at church, Chris, did, Chris said that. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah, well, I, I probably didn't personally think that was too bad. Well, I, I just thought it was pushing boundaries. Are you sure? Uh, uh, Chris is just doing a few things that are worrying me at the moment. And all of a sudden, you're having this conversation, having this conversation with somebody that's innocent and has gone off down this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. So I want to ask you this morning, have you knowingly or even ignorantly or unknowingly found yourself getting caught up with the crowd? Maybe it's a good opportunity in the house of God this morning to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry I've, I've viewed the value of community to you too low. I've, I've, had a, I've had a high value of me and my choices and a low value of the consequences of my choices over the whole community. But I, I want to I shift the, the, the pile from less important about what I want, more important about what's good for us. That's the kingdom of God. That's a transformed life. That's a person, a man or a woman, filled with the Holy Spirit with fire. And I get really indignant, and this message has stirred up my heart. I'm, I'm sick and tired of hearing self-centered, narcissistic, 21st century Christians cracking on to me about their call. I had this young guy bowl me up one day at the church. He's going, hey, pastor. He's a really nice young guy. He's no longer in our church, by the way. He says, um, God's told me I've got to preach. I said, what, what, and when, and where? He says, in this church, like soon, I've got this message in my spirit. I said, well, you know, I'm really pleased that you feel like God's laid a burden on your heart. And I said, and, uh, and it's, we've all got something we can say. I said, do you know what the number one criteria for getting in here is in our church? Is it no, got to have a good message, got the Holy Spirit. I said, all those things are really important. But I said, the number one box to tick for me, if you were to stand in my pulpit in my church, was this. You must demonstrate to me that you love the people. He looked at me and went, what? He'd only been around the place for six weeks. I said, everybody in this church has got something they could say that would change a life because we're people filled with the Spirit of God. Some of us are not particularly comfortable getting a microphone or standing at the front, but I'm telling you, if you're a son or a daughter of the living God, you've got the gospel. I think Chris has said that or someone said that already this morning. You've got the gospel. You can help somebody find freedom for their life. So if you want the privilege of actually picking up the microphone and standing out the front in this church, can I tell you what to do? He says, sure. What's, what have I got to do? He said, go and get on a coffee team for six months and then come and talk to me again. He lasted another three weeks in church. Gone. Gone in a blaze of glory. Unfortunately, and this is how the kingdom works in my view, some well-meaning but not careful leader somewhere will let that kid have a crack and he'll think it's all about the gift, all about the message, it's all about that no no, it's all about love your neighbour I, I just got to reiterate, this is love your neighbour if this church did nothing else and it's not going to do nothing else, but nailed this issue, you guys would have Norwood on its head Norwood would be, people would go, what's going on down in Norwood, there's this, there's this voice coming out from Norwood there's this sound coming out of the eastern suburbs. There's this thing overtaking the city of Adelaide. It will happen if people like us understand what's important to God. And what's important to God is us. 
More so than me. Ugh, how's that going down? Um, I reckon that's plenty. So, maybe just give you these little... I've got six, six things here. That's, that's the, like, the what. I want to give you the... Finish off with the how. Okay? So what's important is, is really important to get out there. But how? How do I not get caught up with the crowd? Number one, set and review personal goals regularly. Have a think about what you're doing with your time. What are you doing with your prayer life? What are you doing with your commitment to... I, I heard from the announcements, there's a prayer meeting on this week. Is that right? Is that information accurate? So I say, say this after me. There is a prayer meeting this week, and I'm going. Oh, you might have gone, hang on a minute, I'm not going. Now, there are legitimate reasons why you might not be able to go, because you've got a work commitment or some other uh, something else you've committed to previously. But if what I'm saying this morning is true, and I'll put it to you it is, and the senior pastors say we're having a prayer meeting and we're fasting for the day, you've got every right to go, you know what, I don't like fasting. I like the chocolate, the coffee, red wine, the beer, uh, big fat steak, bowl of pasta, whatever it is you like. I like that stuff too, so I'm not, I'm not doing that. Or <coughs> any of the other. And as for prayer meetings, well, that's not my thing. But, uh, I just soon be at home praying to Jesus on my own. Wrong answer. What's important with this is that prayer meeting. And so I get motivated to say, yeah, I'm going. It may not be convenient. It may not be my thing. I might not even talk to anybody when I get there because I'm a little bit, I'm new or I'm a little bit self-conscious or who, who knows what the reasons why one of us might not go. But if we let our selfish individualism that's being redeemed by the blood of Jesus every day, thank the Lord for that. We're on a journey as a continuum. We're getting better at this. I'm not saying we've all arrived or some of us have and some of us haven't. We're all on a journey. Then we will start to think when things like that are put before us you go you know what i'm going to just shift a few th- i'm going to be there and no one's twisted your arm nobody's manipulated anybody nobody said anything that makes you get there for the wrong reasons you end up with you and i get a revelation you know what is important to god is our community of faith, and i'm going to do everything in my power to build it so review what you're doing with your time number two do not get involved in gossip that's a, you know, just don't go there. If someone starts talking about somebody and you just know the conversation's got the potential to break left or right, to say, hang on a minute, let's just... Uh, Chris, I'll pick it on you because you're right in front of me. But Chris is not actually here to defend himself, so let's talk about something else. Just truncate the conversation. They are not talk about it. Or someone starts, you know, just having a bit of a gripe about something they don't like. You know, or the light's too bright or the music's too loud or... You know what I'm talking about in church life, right? These things all get said. One of the things we can do if we protect the community is say, you know what, you're entitled to your opinion, but it's really, really, really good to learn not to say it. Just shut up. It takes a, it takes a courageous person to say that lovingly, and I mean lovingly, because you don't want to break the relationship, but lovingly go, you know what, let's try and do this a bit differently. Don't take everything you hear, number three, about a person at face value. Correct misinformation. If you hear something said about me that's not true from somebody, tell them that's not true. It's just unbelievable how often we let people get away with a misinformed comment about something. Oh, the church. We had a lady last week um, who bailed us up at the end of the meeting. She came down and she wanted to lecture us about a few things about how we're not doing right in church. And, uh, anyway, one of the phrases she looked, she looked at 
sort of moment to pick her and she started with this little phrase you pick and I, I grabbed it I, I didn't physically grab it because that would be illegal but I, <laughs> I verbally grabbed it and said hang on a minute I said don't you go down that conversation using that language look me in the eye and say my name's Bruce accuse me of that and she couldn't not really she started to but it, it's really easy to get a generalised view of something and so you've got, you'll know people you might have met them, you might be hooked up with somebody who takes a generalised comment about something but they really are wanting to express you know, blah 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 blah, blah but, but they're really wanting to have a go at an individual pull them up, say that's not why I know Bruce, I know Chris, I know Vicky for years they're great people, why are you speaking like that about them? don't be speaking about so and so like that that's alright I think we need to go there, right? Be courageous. Number four was deal with offence. Give people. Just let it go. Mark Kelsey said something at a meeting around a few weeks ago, which is very, very helpful. Like most normal people, let's just look around the room here, the person to your left or your right. Most people in this room would not set out to offend you. They didn't wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to offend Michael. This is my goal in life. And so he made the comment, it's very unusual for somebody to give offence. But it's always something, on the other hand, that's taken. So Michael could be offended, not because I set out to offend, and I'm not saying, well, wait, but, um, but I might, even this moment, might be causing him to take offence. I'm not trying to offend him. It's like, you hear what I'm saying. And so in the, the, the arena of offence, if a community is going to work, we've got to stop going to court. We've got to stop this mindset that the world throws out as the only way to be compensated for a wrong is to be paid for it. No, no, the best way to be compensated for a wrong is to forget. I thought, ooh, that doesn't sound too good. It's just, that's what this is about. That's what the Ten Commandments are setting up a community to live like that. I mean, Jesus himself said, I think, sorry, Paul said, like, what on earth business is it for you to have a dispute resolved in a secular court of law if you're two brothers in Christ? Yet the number of Christians over the years who've sued and been sued, like, again, it's one of those, to my way of looking at that, the explanation is the people involved in those sorts of disputes have come over to this side of the camp where my personal violation is more important than our corporate healing. I think that's kind of where the kingdom starts to rub up against the world. We live differently. We think differently. Our priorities are us. And uh, God's priority is you, individual, absolute. But once that you is in the kingdom, it's about us. The altar is a moment in time when I give my heart to Christ, it's all about me. And that's the way I can't get saved for one of you. You can't get saved for me. In a moment in time, in an instant, you can commit your heart to Christ. It's all about you being in the kingdom. But that is where the focus on you stops. That's where the focus on us begins. And all of a sudden, I step off this altar. Whoa, I'm saved. I'm getting baptized. When's that? Next week? Week after? Two weeks time? I'm getting baptized. That's about you. But it's not about you. It's about us. And all of a sudden our world is turned on its head and for the rest of my days as a follower of Jesus Christ, 
I'm continuously trying to extract me out of us. I want me to be an us person. Strange way to say it. But. Number five, start filling the expectation gap with trust and not suspicion. So when people are talking to us, when people are offering to do things, don't expect the difference between what you're asking and what they might do. Don't look at that suspiciously. Give people a go. Let people prove themselves. Try to be a trust person, not a suspicious one. And finally, number six, pray regularly. Heaps more scripture there from Deuteronomy, but we haven't got time to go there. I reckon that's plenty that's been said. Why don't we stand to our feet today? Wow. Well, Lord, we're just uh, standing here in your presence together. We've gathered in this place today to be the church of God at C3 Church, Norwood. We could have stayed home. Could be watching Benny in on TV. We're lying in bed having a cup of tea. We'll be down the cafe strip in Norwood having a cafe latte and a little bagel or something else. Eggs Benedict. But we're not, we're here. And so, Lord, help us to never, ever underestimate the power of what you're doing here when we come together as the church. Lord, you've put us together in this place for a purpose. You've got a divine purpose for every one of us as individuals. I believe that with all my heart. But, Lord, today I'm feeling an adjustment in my perspective around this word. I'm feeling in my heart, Lord, that what I've sensed as I've prepared this message is that your heart absolutely is for every one of us to not be lost. But your heart is for every one of us subsequent to a salvation moment being a person who so loves the house of God. So love our connect group. So love to help people. And Lord, as we get that right, as we balance that in this community of faith, we would find ourselves both individually and corporately empowered to reach out into the community around us. It's not in this place this morning. And we become inclusive. We are in, we're loving. We're warm. We're open. Even if we're personally a little bit prickly, the good thing about the house of God can get on us. The good thing about the people of God can get on us. So, Lord, I pray today for every one of us. If we've been involved in gossiping in recent history that's having slapping ongoing effect around our life, Lord, today we seek your forgiveness. We confess with our mouth, Lord, we have been foolish, we've sinned, we've borne false witness against somebody. Maybe not even to their knowledge. Father God, forgive us. Maybe you've been in this church for a long time or maybe you've not been here all that long at all the, the time factor sometimes has an impact on the capacity to get offended but you could be offended the first five minutes in a church like this or it might take 15 years and all of a sudden the offence gets a bit of a lift under its wings and it begins to sour our perspective of just how precious and holy this place is. And so, Lord, we come into your presence in this prayer, saying, forgive me, Lord, I've let offence 
to root down my soul. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to pull that thing up. Digging out a weed out of my garden, I'm pulling up that offence. I'm uprooting it, and I'm casting it into the pits of hell in the name of Jesus. I am not offended. Lord, as I look around this congregation this morning, as we look around over coffee in a few minutes' time, I want to look around here with eyes of acceptance and love, of tolerance, of faith, of courage, of strength. I want the people around me in this church, Lord, to get a crack at life that is empowered, bold, is confident, life that's how church works when church is working. And so, Lord, we just commit ourselves to you. <clears throat> Pray, Lord, you take a hold of this church as a congregation and rattle its cage, Lord, that there be a breaking out to the north, south, east, and west. Lord, that there are new faces in this congregation. I want to say to any of you who are newbies around the place here, get involved. Get the community of faith here lifted up in the priorities of your life and see what God will do. And so, Lord, we thank you and we bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know whether you feel like you want to, Chris, if this, want to do this, if you want to come and just assemble on this front altar for a little bit before we close the meeting. Are we okay to do that? You might just feel like <clears throat> the stepping out of your seat really is, is part of a process for me that demonstrates a step of faith. Can God do what he wants to do with you standing where you're standing? Totally. Absolutely. God's awesome. He's so into you, isn't he? Sometimes I've found I've got to actually give him something to work with. And sometimes that's just a step out of your seat. God goes, there's that faith step in Bruce's life. Right now I can move. So I'm just going to encourage you to come down. If there's a number of us that come. Uh, we'll sort that out by praying. Chris and Vicky and Julie and I'll pray with you. If it's just a couple of people, I don't care. I just want you to, if you need to take a step of faith, then why don't you come and stand down the front this morning?
Uh, you may be seated for a moment. Um, that was good for me, but I think it was also good for us. And so although I haven't announced this, I'd actually like to take a moment to take up an offering for Bruce and Julie, because I believe that's good for us as well. I think that it's good for us as the community of C3 Church Nord to thank them. Not that giving money, as Bruce said, is going to solve all of their problems. And for all, know, for all I, know, I know, Bruce is going to put it in his Fiji fund. I'm not, I've got no idea what he's going to do with it. It might be in his, uh, his holiday fund. It doesn't actually matter. But the matter, what matters is that we recognise that the Word of God from Bruce this morning has done us good. It has raised the bar in our thinking. It has raised the bar in 